All right, good. Hey, I need a volunteer today. I'm looking for a volunteer uh, this morning to play Jenga with me. Anybody want to play Jenga with me this morning? Jenga, Jenga, Jenga. All right, come on. Rob, right? All right. Come on up, Rob. All right, so we're going to play a little Jenga. So do you, have you ever played Jenga before? Yep, All right. Yep. Are you like an expert or something? Nope. You're going to like, okay, good. So we're going to, first I want you to help me kind of build the thing. So we'll do three mm-hmm. and three, right? All right. So yeah. put another one there and then let's make sure they're yeah. like even. Yeah. Like I got a little OCD going on right now. Sorry. That's good. That's good. There you go. Yep. You got it. You got it. Uh-oh, I'll tell you that, so constructor, there we go. All right, so there's that, all right, that, and let's just put that one on top of the three there. All right, awesome, I'm gonna just change, make a little change right there. All right, so we work together pretty well. Mm-hmm. We yeah. built it, right? I think I could build a house with you, Yeah. right? We could yeah. do it done, right? Yeah. So, but the object of Jenga mm-hmm. is to pull it apart without it falling, right? I think about relationships, and sometimes we do things in our relationships that we we get away with, right, Mm -hmm. and the relationship still stays intact, but we've kind of actually done something that we maybe shouldn't have done, or maybe it hurt the other person, or maybe we said something, right? You chose the easy block. And I chose the easy block, because, (laughs) right, because there are some things we can do, and everything stays intact, Mm -hmm. but there are some things, if we do them, it doesn't stay intact, right? So anyway, I'm going to go first. I'm going to take that one. You take, see what you got going on. Okay. Uh-oh, uh-oh. You can't test it. What do you mean you can't <laughs> test it? You can't test a relationship? Yeah, ah, there you go, right. Uh, that's a whole sermon in itself there, brother. All right. So we play this, right? And then there are certain things that we can do that real, it'll still stay. It'll still stand. And uh, we'll do that. So I'm going to let you go again. So, see, there are some things that you do, and oh my gosh. So, there are some things you do. So, I want to point out something else about relationships. If you keep doing this, eventually it's going to fall apart. I mean, we can't do this all. If we keep taking away from the relationship, right, eventually it's going to fall apart. But there are even some things that we'll do in a relationship that the whole thing will fall apart, right? And it won't do it. Oh. <laughs> there goes my illustration. There you go. Man, all right. Woo! The Holy Spirit must be at work in this relationship, right? But eventually if we pull something, it's all going to... That was louder than I thought it was going to be, because I did it on the carpet at the first service. But anyway, let's give Rob a hand for doing that. So I think about this, and, um, you know, we're talking today about this image of God, that we have this image of God, and it's this blueprint in us that is about the image of God. And we're talking today about relationships, right? In Galatians, we're going to take a look at Galatians chapter, uh, chapter 5 today. And in the, halfway through that passage, Paul's actually talking to people in the church, and he's saying, here's what I want you to do in your relationships with each other. And here's what Paul says. Serve one another humbly in love. Serve one another humbly in love. 
Rob and I, when we were creating the Jenga game, we were helping each other, we were building together, right? That's that same idea, that when we're in relationships, are we thinking about how do we serve one another humbly in love? And when each person is doing that, right, we build something up. Now, we're going to talk today a lot about how we do the opposite of that, right? How we actually tear things down in our relationships because we're not living out the image of God. We're not living out of the image of God. We're living out of something else going on in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. Last week, we talked about how you and I, everybody here in Genesis chapter 1, every one of us is created in the image of God. So do you know that? Do you know that you're created in the image of God today? And that you, have ma- you matter, you have worth, you are loved by God, and because of that, because you have the divine image in you. Now, we're going to introduce somebody else, uh, part of the God, what we call the Godhead, called the Holy Spirit this morning in Galatians. The Holy Spirit, the word for spirit in this passage, if we go back, there's an, the Bible was written partly in a language called Hebrew, the Old Testament, and the New Testament was written in Greek. And in that Greek language, the word for spirit is the word pneuma, pneuma. What, it, if you, what, what comes to mind when I say pneuma? Like what English word comes to mind? Pneumonia, right? We're, we're gonna, not going to infect people or get people sick. But it's, why is it, what's it called? What's happening when you have pneumonia? You can't breathe, right? It's about your lungs. It's affecting your lungs. Pneuma means breath, spirit, right? So I want you to keep that in mind as we read Genesis chapter 2. Last week we looked at Genesis chapter 1, which is kind of big picture creation. In chapter 2, we look in at the creation of Adam and Eve, and here's what it says as God is creating Adam. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, and here it is, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So the Holy Spirit is a life-giving breath that gives life. The Holy Spirit in Galatians, as we read that passage today, is this breath in our lives that gives us life if we live by this breath. And this goes along with the image of God, right? So we're created in the image of God, and we're created by the breath or the Holy Spirit of God, and it's the Holy Spirit that helps us live out the image. Does that make sense? So I want to keep that in mind as we unpack today some of this going on. So this is what Paul, going back to Galatians, he says, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So Paul talks about that. And then he goes on, and he keeps writing here in, uh, in Galatians. He says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So just pause there. He's describing actually what he calls the works of the flesh or the actions of the flesh. When our passions, our desires get out of control, when they go out of boundaries, this is, what ha- this is where we go with all that. Then he shifts here, and this is the next section. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, which means patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So, is that, did I catch it all? Yeah, I think I got it all, right? 
And so, does that keep going? Sorry. Does that, is there another slide? That's it? All right, good. All right, I was right. So, I want you to see there's these two ways, right? The works of the flesh or the acts of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, right? So, it's interesting because Paul talks about these two ways of two ways living. And I would say there are two lifestyles we can live by. We can live by the lifestyle of work and maintaining this passion, work at this passion and this, giving this energy to those things, or we can live a lifestyle of the fruit. So think about that. There are two different ways we can live our lives. And now I think one of the things that I would say is a misconception in our, in our world today is that there are things that we think are natural that are actually not natural. <laughs> and there are things that are unnatural that are, we confuse with being natural, right? So, for example, the FDA will only put a label on something, a food, uh, say, let's say, you know, say, you, you ever look in the market, you go buy food that's organic or all natural, anybody into that, right? And you look at all these labels and they all, a lot of them say all natural. The FDA says you can only put that on a food if there are no adds, add additions to it, substitutes to it, or anything synthetic added to it. So it has to be what? As God created it, right? It has to be all natural. So I want you to think about natural being as God created us. And I would say to you that the image of God is natural for us. And these other things that take over us, these other passions and desires, are unnatural for us. But I think we get that confused sometimes. Because I've heard a lot of people say, well, you know, uh, sex is just natural, right? Right? Is that natural or unnatural? Well, yes, sex is natural. But when our passions and our lusts and our desires take over that very natural thing and take it beyond its God-given boundaries, what happens? It becomes unnatural. We're adding to it. We're, we're making substitutes, right? And I would suggest to you, and I'm going to, you'll hear this from me, I'm going to be a proponent of monogamy. Um, I feel like uh, part of it is that part of what's happening in our culture is that our culture is shifting away from monogamous relationships, and I think that Paul is actually saying that any, he says sexual immorality. When he says sexual immorality, he's actually talking about anything outside of the monogamous uh, committed relationship, right? That's what he's talking about around that marriage relationship. So he's saying anything outside of that is unnatural. Everything within that is natural. So sex is natural. But when we take it beyond that, when we start to substitute other things in that arena, it becomes unnatural. Same uh, thing with anger. Like, so anger... Anybody here never felt anger? Anybody? I just want to meet you. I want to bow to you this morning. No. Because we all wrestle with anger, right? So there's nothing wrong with anger. It's the expression of it that gets us in trouble, right? It's when we take it beyond, when our passions and our desires and lusts and our anger begins to say, as Paul says, we lose our temper, right? We lose our temper. Those are times when, you know, the building starts to fall down. We do things and say things because our, our passion, our lust, our desire is taken over. And now we're saying things and hurting this other person that we didn't mean to say. Has anybody ever said that? I, I didn't, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. Have you ever said that to somebody? Right? That's when you know that's taking over, right? So it's natural for us to be angry. It's unnatural to take that anger and do harm to other people. So we express it. Paul comes, uses this excuse actually in the text. He says, they doing whatever you feel like doing, right? That's what he's talking about. That when we just do whatever we feel like doing, and then what happens is we put this label on it, 
and we say to ourselves, we rationalize, we make the excuse, well, it's just natural. I can't help it, right? But that's not natural. The image of God in you is natural. That's the way you and I were created, to live out that image and to bear that image in our lives. So what does this mean for relations? Let's get back to relationships. Paul actually lists, I'm not going to go over the whole list, but I, I want you to look at on this list of things that he lists out, the negative things he lists. I want you to notice how many of them are related to relationships. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy. All that's relational stuff, isn't it? All that's how we destroy and hurt relationships. Those are all descriptors of that. And I took a conflict management class years ago. Uh, it, was, it was done by a guy named Speed Lees, and he talks about these five levels of conflict. I don't know, you may have seen this before, but he talks about the difference between healthy conflict and unhealthy conflict. And so, like, healthy conflict is normal. It's natural, right, to have conflict, to, to have those things. But number one level is where you have a problem to solve. You, you, have, you, you have a problem, you have a conflict, but you come together and you figure out what the problem is and how to solve the problem. So that's, that's healthy. And then there may even be level two where you're having a disagreement with somebody and you may not fully line up on your agreements or your values of things, but you're still not going to let that affect your relationship. Your relationship with that person is still intact and you're able to continue to be in relationship with them even though you disagree with them or have a different opinion in them. Where it moves to unhealthy conflict in a relationship is when it becomes a contest. When it becomes a contest. That means I got to win and you got to lose. When you're at the point, and you and I are at the point in a relationship where it's about me winning, me being right, and you being wrong, me make, winning the point, winning the argument, winning, and you losing, I am now moving towards unhealthy conflict in my relationship. Has anybody ever been there? I've done it, right? I'm going to win this argument. I don't know why, but I'm going to win, right? I'm going to make sure I get my point across, right? Because I'm right and they're wrong, right? And so we get into this contest, right? How many people will watch the Super Bowl today and get into a contest about an art, a referee call or a, who won the game or who lost the game? And some of us will be depressed. I actually don't have a dog in this hunt, as they say. But, you know, some of us will get really attached to a team and we'll lose, your team will lose. And then tomorrow you'll be like, oh, man, I picked the wrong team, which is what I typically do every Super Bowl. So I know this feeling as well, very well. But then what happens if you move beyond that, you're actually fight. It's fight or flight. It's like we're going to fight about this or we're going to just flee from each other about this. We're just going to start to avoid each other, right? And that's unhealthy conflict. And then number five is like in what's called an intractable situation. That's actually where you just, you just don't like this person. You want them out of your life altogether. You don't want them anywhere near you. That's also called war. When you want to get rid of somebody else on the planet and get them out of, off the planet, you're at an intractable situation, right? That's level five. I want you to notice that everything on Paul's list is level three or five, through five. All of it contributes to that. All those passions, all those desires, all those lusts that drive all the discord, the hatred, the jealousy, the envy, all that takes us to up, keeps escalating conflict up this, that scale. I was thinking about how to dig in this a little deeper, and I remembered that uh, the Gottman Institute, if you're familiar with Gottman, they do research, marriage research, but I think 
what he describes is actually applicable to all relationships. So I'm not, I don't think this just applies to married couples, but he calls this the four horsemen of the apocalypse. These are the four horsemen of the apocalypse for your relationship. He says, number one, criticism. So there's a difference between a complaint and a criticism or a critical, I also think there's a difference between critical thinking and criticism. But a complaint is where you, you address a behavior. You say, uh, that, that behavior is not helpful for me or not helpful for us. And so you're, you may be for, saying a complaint, but when you start to focus on the person and their worth and their value, then you're criticizing them, right? You're critical of them as a person rather than just complaining about a particular behavior. So you're focused on the person rather than the behavior. That's criticism. Two is contempt. I have seen contempt firsthand from my teenage daughters. Do you know what that looks like? Oh, dad, yeah. That's an eye roll, contempt, right? Sarcasm, cynicism are examples of contempt. Uh, mockery, making fun of, name-calling. Whenever you're starting to name-call, you're actually con- showing contempt for that other person. And that is like taking away. And every time we do that, right, you know, going back to our Jenga, we're actually pulling, we're actually pulling away from that relationship. We're actually tearing that relationship down with our criticism and our contempt. Now, if you're the person who's getting the criticism and feeling the contempt, where do you go? Defensiveness, Right? You start to get defensive. The problem with defensiveness is, is that we're, we're actually not really defending ourselves. According to Gottman, we're, our defensiveness is actually just our way of saying, not my fault, your fault. And what does that do to the conflict? If I come to you and say, hey, this isn't my fault, this is your fault, what does that do? That escalates the conflict, right? that does not resolve the conflict. So defensiveness starts to kick in, and that's very, nat- that's very normal. I almost said natural, but it's normal. And then if you are facing criticism, contempt, and getting defensive, the, na- the, the way that we sometimes deal with that is called the silent treatment or stonewalling or shutting down, right, or removing myself from the situation because I'm facing criticism, contempt, I'm getting defensive, so I'm just going to shut down. And Gottman says, these will tear down a relationship. Paul is saying, these things, these types of passions, things, lusts, these types of things will tear down our relationships. So we've got another option, Paul says. Paul says, we've got this other option. And I would say to you, here's the other list that Paul presents to us, 522. What would it look like to have love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in our relationships? I think what is described here is that when we cooperate, when we listen to the Holy Spirit, remember, the pneuma, the breath of God, the Spirit of God at work in us, creating the image of God, this is what is the image of God. This is an example of what it looks like to live out the image of God in our relationships with love and joy and peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now here's a very obvious question. Which list do you want to live out of? And you don't have to answer. It's obvious, right? I want to live out of that list. I want to live out of this list of good things. I would suggest to you that these good things come when we live out the image of God 
led by the Holy Spirit at work in us. These things will naturally grow out of our relationships. It's, this is natural for us. And it's interesting because when Paul calls it fruit, right? Fruit is organic. Fruit comes as a process of growth, right? If you continue to grow, and you and I continue to grow in our relationships, fruit will come of it. So what is the fruit or what is the thing that will grow our relationship? Verse 13, serve one another humbly in love. As you and I learn to do that, serve one another in love, humbly in love, right? Can you be humble and envious at the same time? Can you be humble and jealous at the same time? Can you hate somebody and be humble at the same time? No. Those things don't go together. They're, they're, they're opposed to each other. So what happens is these things will grow naturally out of us as we learn to serve one another humbly in love. The more we learn to do that, the more we grow in that, the more we'll see that kind of fruit in our lives, in our relationships, in who we are. So how do you get there? Paul answers that for us too in this passage. He says this. Here's how to do it. Now, in verse uh, 20, 20, uh, I can't, there it is. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, here it is, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Crucified. Put to death. Get rid of. Annihilate. So if we're going to focus our conflict on anything, not on other people, but focus our conflict on the passions and the desires and the lusts that are waging war in us and crucify those things. Don't just manage them. <laughs> Don't just manage those passions. Kill those passions. Crucify those passions. Listen to the Holy Spirit in that, right? That's how that happens. And if we'll do that, if we'll remove those things, then this fruit that we want to live and see in our lives will start to emerge as we crucify those other things. So I want to ask a question today, and this is how I want us to kind of be, I want to encourage you to think and me to think, all of us to think, is what is it in our lives right now? What's going on in you right now or in your relationships or in yourself or in your own spirit that you have identified, you said, you know, I need to get rid of that. I need to get rid of that desire or that passion or that love, whatever it is. I don't know what it is in you, but God knows it, you know it, and that's all that matters. I don't need to know it. Other people don't need to know it. But what is it going on inside of you today that you'd like to crucify, basically? Like, you'd like to get rid of that because you can see that it's getting in the way of your relationship with other people. You can see that it's getting in the way of you serving one another humbly in love. What is that in your life today? I want you to think about that, and I'm going to give you a chance to respond to that in your own way this morning. But as you're thinking about this, I want to tell you a story. I was in uh, college, and I was not, when I was in college, I was not living by the Holy Spirit at this time in my life. I was living by the flesh, and I was at a party, big party, lots of drinking going on. We were having a good time. There were football players from our university's team at the party, and it was in our dorm. And then, uh, so we're having a good time. So football players were there. Other people were there. And then a couple hours into the party, a football player from another university showed up at this party and started to kind of mingle with people, especially the young women in the crowd. And so one of our football players 
got a little upset with this other football player from another school coming in and starting to, you know, starting to pay attention to the young women at our school. So uh, he began to feel a little threatened and maybe there was a little jealousy, right, going on. And so he decides to confront this other football player. And so they, I, I'm, I like step back, you know, I'm like watching this. I'm like, oh, this is not going to go well, right? So if you can imagine two guys over six foot, I don't remember how big they were, both linemen, and they were over six feet tall, probably 250 plus pounds, right? So bigger than me, and they're squaring off in the middle of the room. Like they're, you know, he confronts him and he's getting all, you know, puffed up. And they're like, they're just going big chest at each other, like, you know, staring each other down. And I can see it just about ready to go down, man. It's like WWE right here is going to happen right in the party, right? And so we're standing there and I'm stepping back, you know, I'm like, oh, this is going to be interesting, you know, like, let's watch this train wreck. So we had a, a RA on our dorm. I don't know where she was the whole time the party was going on, but all of a sudden she shows up. Now, Beth Ann is four foot 11, about 105 pounds. And I remember this to this day. This is a picture in my mind. I see Beth Ann walk into the room, and she walks right between these two big guys. Can you imagine that? These towering linemen. Here's Beth Ann, 4'11", 105 pounds, getting herself in between them. She puts her fingers up, and she's looking up at both of them. And she looks at him, and she says, knock it off. And they both walked away. <laughs> and I'm like, Beth Ann, you are cool. <laughs> right? I love you. You are the best. I think the Holy Spirit is 4'11, 105 pounds. And she comes into our lives and she says, Knock it off that when we start to get out of control, when things start to escalate in us, I believe that you and I have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And there are times that if we'll listen for it, if we'll listen for the Holy Spirit at work in us, we will hear the Holy Spirit come into our spirit, breathe into us and say, knock it off. The question will be, will we listen to the Holy Spirit, right? Will we listen to that? Like those two guys listen to Beth Ann and said, yeah, Beth Ann, you're right. I need to back off. I need to de-escalate this. I need to back down. Are we willing to do that? I want to give you an opportunity to think about that today. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you today? Let's pray together.